Okay, people, we're getting ready to go on live with you on Facebook. Um, uh, my lovely guest has joined me, and I'm sure she's going to be sharing the link with her friends and her family who are uh, connected. Um, if you're just coming on, um, go ahead and share the link as we're about to start. Uh, what we usually do when we come on, we like to warm things up a bit, so get people um get get people engaged wait for people to come on you know and then we get the ball rolling um i want to say hi to my guest i'll introduce her in just a little bit and she's she's all the way in svg and uh, and we're we're gonna have or we're gonna try to have a blast because i suspect we're gonna be talking about some heavy stuff but we're gonna try and have a blast today um you have your faculty let me see a mm-hmm. Oh, look at him. Look at your mug. I like that <laughs> it's mug. Cute, right? It's real cute. cute. I think it's so. Real cute. It's yeah. real cute. She has a cute mug. See, she ready. She ready. We and, ready. Um, yes, we hope that you guys um, can share share the link. I just, first of all, want to introduce you. Uh, I'll say thanks first to everybody who's joining us. And special, special thanks to my guests for being here with us uh, today. Um, I would, first of all, like to start each show by letting folks know how I met my guests or how I know my guests or, or the dynamics between me and my guests, whatever it is. And um, my guest actually is a, a Carrie Scholar mentor. And my loving sister, who is um, in in the UK, she has a, a network called Carrie Scholar, which is a mentorship program, uh, which helps connect um, Caribbean students to persons of interest in whatever field that um, that they're interested in. And she said, "Oh, I'll share the link with uh, my my uh, mentors and whoever is interested in being." on the show um, can always connect with you. And my beautiful guest was one of the folks who um, connected with me. And when I saw, cause I like to keep the show very um, versatile, you know, introduce different things and talk about different things that affect us as well as the fun stuff. You know, we wanna keep it fun, but we also wanna keep it serious as well at times. And she is, um, when I, when I, when I, saw her, her 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 resume and what she she is i was like oh that would be somebody interesting to bring on the show so i immediately contacted her and um we started communicating from then uh, with uh, three years experience working with adults and juveniles with substance abuse and mental health disorders uh, my guest today has collaborated with officials on positively reforming laws concerned with juvenile incarceration and has worked with researchers as well as she's actually been a research assistant to create the first juvenile justice framework for St. Vincent and the Grenadines. Employed currently as a psychotherapist slash a rehabilitation counselor. She has also worked as a mental health therapist, a case manager and vocational evaluator at an evaluation and development center in the United States, a Carrie Scholar mentor, and one of our fellow islanders all the way from svg i want to say hi to 
to Kimberly Cambridge. Hi, Kimberly. Good evening, JL, and thank you for having me. It is an honor to be here with you. Thank you so very much for being here with us. We have guests coming on right now, and we want to say hi to someone who's looking out all the way from Senegal, West Africa, is locked in. So, hey, hi. <laughs> hi, and thank you so very much for for connecting with us. And we, the viewers are slowly coming in, and uh, we want to encourage you if you just got on, you know, share the link with somebody else, share the link with a friend, share it on your timeline, and let folks know uh, that uh, they can come on, hop on, and you can also ask questions during the course of the show. Of course, if Kimberly can answer. She will. If she can't, I'm sure she will probably say to you, hey, let me touch base with you again or let's connect again and, and probably I can help you or help you better answer your question. Right, Kimberly? Absolutely. Great. Uh, so I want to say special good afternoon to all the viewers and also this uh, actual video live is going to uh, be converted into a podcast. So you can also listen on iTunes. So if for some reason you start watching and you're unable to continue because probably, you know, you had to head out or probably you have bad internet connection or whatever the case might be um you can after about 24 hours go back on my website and have access to the actual podcast so you can listen in your phone on your phone you can listen on the radio um of your car you can listen on your computer however you choose to listen you can do that i want to say a special good afternoon to what of very good friend of my of mine who's locked in as well. Uh, that is Dr. Gilda Nesty Tong, all the way from Dominica. She's locked in. She has worked extensively with mental patients. So Kimberly, you have someone uh, on your on your team tonight. I suspect all you're gonna gang up on me. <laughs> uh, so we have um uh, Dr. Nesty Tong joining us as well. So um, as I promised you, we're going to get this started. And as I mentioned before, you know, um, Kimberly has worked with Carrie Scholar. She's worked with, with many different organizations. But Kimberly, who exactly is Kimberly? Yeah, I like these existential questions. Um, who is Kimberly? Uh, I think I'm a very multifaceted individual. So I am, uh, I would like to say I call myself an education lover. I am someone who is a bit of a nerd. I'm very into books. I'm very into reading new things. I am a bit of a comedian part-time as well. I love comedy. I am a really good friend. I'm a really good listener. And I am left-handed. Really? I, I, am. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you threw that in. I'm left-handed. My, my sister Jarell is also left-handed. I think there's just something about left-handed people. We're just like really brilliant people. I heard. My son, my six-year-old is left-handed too. So I guess I have good things to look forward to, right? Exactly. Take full advantage of that. <laughs> wow. Well, I should, should I force my three-year-old to be, my three-month-old to be left-handed too? Force him? I think it's like a gift. You just have to wait and see if he's it's bestowed upon him. <laughs> <laughs> when did you actually become a, a, a therapist and why mental health? 
Um, actually, I will start with, I'll tell you why mental health first. When I just came out of community college and I started working, I worked as a customer service agent at my country's credit union. And I tell you, customer service is an area where you meet so many different people from all walks of life, right? And you would think that in a credit union, the main aim would be to come in, you know, either join, deposit money, withdraw money, and, you know, you do what you have to do. Hey, Elisa. Mm -hmm. And what I found was that while doing this particular job, persons were coming in, you're sitting down, you're having a conversation, you're trying to explain to them, okay, this is why you joined. And then suddenly they begin pouring out their whole life story to you, you know? And I'm, I'm 17, 18, and I'm like, well, what am I gonna be doing with all this information as I'm trying to just join you here, sir? You know, and he's like, well, tell me what to do. I have these issues in my family, you know, help me. So and people kind of connect, connect <laughs> yeah. the whole money aspect with asking mm -hmm. you for advice on what to do with their life. Exactly, asking me for advice beyond the scope of monetary matters. And, you know, I kind of grew to like it. My coworkers, I was the go-to for a good number of my coworkers. And I decided, you know, when I was doing this job, what I wanted to do after would probably be, you know, figure out what it is that I can do to help persons better cope with whatever issues that they're having. Because at 17, I mean, you don't really have any life experience to be able to help people, in my opinion, at that time. So... From there, I decided maybe psychology was an area that I could look into. Mm -hmm. And from the University of the West Indies, I did my degree in special psychology, fell in love with it a bit more, and then onward to the master's degree a couple of years later. Hmm. That's a nice story. Um, it's cute. So <laughs> actually, I, I, what I like is that, because a lot of times people leave high school and they're so unsure as to what happens next, especially in the Caribbean, because everybody's mother wants them to be a doctor and a lawyer <laughs> of some sort. So it's kind of dif difficult to figure out what you really want to do, what you what is burning within you, you know, to do. But it's nice that you were able to kind of put one-on-one -on -one together and say, hey, I'm helping people, although I'm doing, I'm managing their money as well, but I'm helping people. Why not become a therapist, which is why you're here today. Tell us a little bit about you growing up. Uh, when I was younger, I was definitely a bit of a tomboy. So my mom has my, it's myself and my brother, and I'm barely two years older than my brother. So, you know, we tended to play together a lot. I was a troublemaker, I will tell you. Uh, you would always find me in a guava tree, a plum tree, a plum rose tree, some, some tree, or playing with the boys or riding a bicycle <laughs> or a skateboard. I have fallen down more times than I can recount. But, you know, it, I had a really fun childhood. My childhood was either spent in books, reading, so I grew up on the encyclopedia era, you know, back in the days when internet was dial up and you had to ask your parents, eh, you know, can I go on the internet? And if you're on too long, you're taking up the phone. And <laughs> you know, people... <laughs> so, you know, my mom's like, why well, you don't read a book? So I really fell in love with books at a very early age. So I was either outside playing in the days of hopscotch and 
morale. I don't know if people remember those games now. Yes, but. yes. <laughs> just yesterday, yeah. yesterday I went to a digital center and they to get into the digital center they had a hopscotch. Like it was a hopscotch all the way in and I was like, look at how they're trying to connect, you know, the past. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of cute. Yeah, well, I definitely yeah. remember hopscotch. <laughs> exactly. So I had a good bit of tomboy days. Um, wow. Well, my nerd days. I, I really loved reading back then as well. Awesome. And, and was anybody in, in your in your community or around you, was there anybody who actually inspired you? As a teenager, I would say this. Not when it comes to psychology and mental health therapy, back when I was a teenager, a lot of people weren't talking about it. It's not one of those areas that we were particularly open to as a Caribbean people, especially, you know, in my community. At that time, when I was young, I lived in the Ment uh, Glen community area, which was not too far from our mental health center that we have in our country. So we called it the crazy home. That's what they call it, the crazy home. So, you know, mm -hmm. you tend to see a lot of people walking around who, you know, you would consider to be not well, insane, so to speak. And, you know, you always wonder, what is their story? How is it that these persons happened in this situation, happened or ended up in this situation? But eventually you would meet people and you'd hear their stories about what exactly was the situation, you know, and from there, you decide, you know, I can't judge what I don't know. So I would have met, for example, a young man who would I would have went to school with. And I remember, I think I was in community college at the time. And I, I guess this is what kind of led me on the, maybe psychology is something for me. When I was in community college, he had, I think he might have had a nervous breakdown and he committed suicide and nobody knew what had happened, you know, but the first thing people jumped to, well, is Obia, Obia thing, mm -hmm. you know, but it wasn't, it wasn't that it was the strain of the exams and the pressures probably got to him and he just couldn't handle it. And so, you know, he committed suicide. So that in itself kind of steered me to a, maybe there's something else going on here that we can probably think about. Hmm. And you decided to go to university, uh, of course, to UE to study. Uh, what was it like getting into university? And tell us a little bit about your educational background. <laughs> you know, I like this part. So uh, for my educational background, I not a lot of people know, but I failed all my A-levels. I tell you now, I failed all <laughs> with the exception of communication studies and psychology. So you know, like you rightly said, Caribbean parents love to say they want their children to be doctors, lawyers, engineers. You know, my dad was no different. He thought that I had the doctor gene in him, uh, in me, in me. And um, he wanted me to be a doctor. And I thought, well, you know, I'm a little bright, little bright. So I might as well be a doctor. I went to A-level and failed bio, physics, chemistry, <laughs> all the makings, <laughs> mathematics too. <laughs> all the makings of a doctor so i was just like maybe maybe jesus saying not this you know not this <laughs> not this in particular and um like i said after but i'd done so well at cxc i was able to get a job 
And eventually, you know, you know that innately you have the ability, the capabilities to do well. So I sat for the UB Open Scholarship and I was able to succeed um, across the region and get a acceptance into Trinidad, funny enough to do medicine. <laughs> wow. The results were so good. They wanted me to do medicine, but I was just like, eh, no. Psychology is where I'm heading. So I started off with psychology in Cave Hill. Kudos to UE. You know, UE has opened yeah. a lot of doors for a lot of people. Absolutely. Um, my sister, uh, Jarell, actually went, was, went to school at UE. And then Aurel got us a scholarship from UE and attended UE as well um, in Barbados. So um, UE is definitely opening the ways for a lot of Caribbean students. So you end up at University of the West Indies. Were there any scholarships that you got? What, what exactly? Give us a little insight as to what did you do to actually get into the program? So there's the UE Open, the regional, UE o regional Open Scholarship, they call it, where students from across the region sit a scholarship exam the year and before. they wish don't know about that. A lot of people don't know about it. Um, usually it's, you can find it in your local newspapers or you can go onto the UE website, uh, even send out um, emails asking information about it in particular. For me, luckily we have a UE open campus here. Mm -hmm. So my mom spotted the scholarship, the call for the open scholarship applications and told me to do it the, the day before the deadline. So I got in just, just before, wow. you know, the deadline to do the scholarship. And it's basically a English comprehension mathematic type exam. And I think the year that I sat it was the year that Sudoku, you know, that mathematical game? Yes, yes. That's, that's the year that Sudoku had just blown up um, across the world. And we had, for the mathematics exam, we had to do a Sudoku puzzle. So... Luckily for me, <laughs> I had found interest in Sudoku because that was the bulk of the mathematics exam. So a lot of people were just like, I don't know what this is. It's just boxes with empty letters and numbers. And yeah, but the UE Open Scholarship is a really good opportunity for persons within the region to have an opportunity to get into University of the West Indies, either Trinidad or Cave Hill. So you complete your degree. What happens next? Well... The thing about the UE Open Scholarship is that they ask you to work in the region for two years. So I decided to come home and volunteer my services back at home as opposed to any other Caribbean island. Mm -hmm. And I had the opportunity to work on the juvenile justice rehabilitative framework at the time. It was a frame, just a framework, which then turned into the program itself. Mm -hmm. So... I did that for about a year and a couple of months, as well as worked as a mental health counselor, substance and drug abuse addiction counselor for about five months when I just come back. Okay, and then you move on to in university. Yes, I then applied for the Fulbright scholarship to go off to do my master's. How did you find out about the Fulbright? Fulbright, there are some scholars within St. Vincent and the Grenadines who are interested 
in sharing that information about how their educational background got started. And one of those persons, Maxine Brown, had um, told me about it. So I went and did my own research and she was able to tell me, give me some pointers. And I had to sit the GRE because you, once you're going to university for the, doing your master's in the States, they ask that you get the graduate record examination, the GRE. So I sat the GRE and I was able to um, do really well on my interview for the Fulbright, Fulbright Scholarship. We have a question um, coming up here. Um, says, Kimberly, other than what you've already stated, do you believe that your attraction to the field of psychology reflects the fact that you believe that there is a bit of mental illness in each and every one of us, including yourself? Also, if so, what mental illness do you think you connect the most with? <laughs> nice question there. Um, you know what? I actually do believe that there is a little bit of mental illness in each and every person. It's just that a lot of persons have better coping mechanisms than other people. So they are more able to, you know, handle that side of themselves enough so that society continues to see them as sane. Mm -hmm. As for the mental illness, I think resonates most with me. I would say a little bit of AD, well, I wouldn't say AD, what did I say ADHD? Is it, yeah, I think I have a little bit of a hyperactivity disorder to I me think sometimes. I yeah. <laughs> I think, I My think mind I, is always bouncing. I always, I like, I've always said I have a little crazy in me. This is something that I've always maintained. And I, I don't really consider, I mean, especially after being friends, with someone who's who believes so much in mental health, which is uh, Dr. Nesty. Um, she, she, I swear, she's always psychoanalyzing me. She's always trying, yeah. <laughs> trying to tell me something. But anyways, I've always felt, you know, that I had a little crazy in me, you know, and and at times, you know, you do certain things and you're wondering, but you're probably not coping that well with this, and you, that's what it is. And and it's sad that. In our society, especially in the Caribbean, people are said to be crazy as in mad and walking on the road naked when they actually have mental illness, whereas we all have a little bit of crazy going on in, in us. Very true. We walk a very fine line, I think, when it comes to the things that we do, because certain behaviors we call creative genius you know, when people are, they do certain things or they create certain things when they are, for example, manic, but we call that creative genius. But, you know, in the world of psychology, certain people can point out, well, you know, this particular behavior is not what we would consider on the side of normalcy, but because of perhaps what the person is able to create under a manic episode, for example, or the things that they might say, we might say, you know what, that person really is a genius, but you know, it depends on what side of the coin that person is looking. <laughs> okay, let's talk a little bit uh, about um, postpartum depression. Um, as West Indians, we are taught growing up that, um, again, being mentally ill is walking up and down the streets, naked, talking to ourselves. We are told to be strong. We are told, shake it off. How has this stereotype fit with someone who's suffering from postpartum? 
So when it comes to postpartum depression, especially in the Caribbean, I think as black women, especially, a lot of pressure is put on the woman to just bounce back and be happy about the fact that she has had this healthy baby and, you know, she is a mother. And the focus is on the fact that she is a mother. But a lot of people don't sit down to think about the fact that there has been so much changes going on in the woman's body over the past nine months, eight months. You know, the, the actual physical changes that's happening to the body, not, so, not to mention the hormonal changes that are going on in the woman's body. The fact that she may or may not have a support system when she comes out of the hospital. So there's there's the psychological aspect, there's the sociological aspect, the physical aspect. A lot of that is not taken into consideration because of the fact that there is just one focus when women have children. And that's the fact that you have creative life. Be thankful that you have a baby and the baby is so cute and everybody's going to love the baby. But you know, people don't really stop to think about the woman herself. And you know, the fact that what is going to happen when she, you know, the sense of normalcy, is the sense of normalcy even ever going to return? Because you have to take care of a whole other human being. So the woman herself fades to the background of, you know, everything else because she's now responsible for someone else. So mm -hmm. in this aspect, in this case, I think postpartum depression kind of, it gets, pushed to the wayside and people don't really, and it's sad because people really have to think about the fact that this woman is going to need a support system. Somebody she is going to be able to wake up to and speak to about what exactly she's going through. And sometimes, especially in the, the Caribbean where there are so many single mother households, there isn't that support system. And that weighs a lot on the woman. Yeah, I think it's very important um, as you, to, to reiterate, you know, that it's not just because we have a little baby that we're okay, you know? We're supposed Absolutely. to dote after the little baby. Oh, she's so cute. She's so cute. Um, what about the woman? What about what about me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, where is the love, you know? And, and I, I appreciate, I must say, I appreciate the Canadian system because they always, um, they'll call on you like you have the public health nurse will call, call you up throughout, you know, the year while you're while you're you're home with the baby and find out are you okay are you having any suicidal thoughts are you you know they ask all these deep questions and they're asking me this question i'm like but why are they asking me this you know like but it is it's for course, a reason for a reason right and i really do appreciate that that they don't just abandon and even coming out of the hospital i i must say you know i was i was pleasantly um happy that you know, they had a psychologist come in and speak with me and say, hey, you know, these are certain things to expect. And if you do start um, feeling or seeing things or, you know, because it comes in all different shapes and form. Here's a contact number. Call us. We'll send somebody to help you. You know, if you need help, if you need extra assistance, if you're fine, if you have a crying baby that keeps you up all night, we'll send someone to 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 come look after the baby for you during the day so you can sleep. So there's all of this really good support system, plus the fact that in Canada, they give you an entire year off with your baby versus the Caribbean, right. where everything happens, has to happen in a three more month 
um, time frame and you're supposed to go back to work with your breasts already feeling like you're going to expand <laughs> so many different things. And you don't expect these women to eventually suffer from or even during the time, you know, secretly suffering from postpartum depression because, of course, they're afraid to express themselves. Nobody's asking any question. Everybody assumes that everything is fine because now you have a beautiful baby, you know, to, to look at. Exactly. And I'm seeing a, a couple comments coming in. I see my supervisor there, Dr. Yeah. Miller. <laughs> but she's, she's right. It's a really, it's a major readjustment. It's a major readjustment that we tend to take for granted. And you're right. Well, for those who have jobs to go back to, you know, come going after spending so much time with your child and bonding, you know, just waking up one morning and be like, okay, let me just hand this person over to, hand my baby over to my, maybe my mother or a, cousin or something like that you know every throughout the day you're calling home to make sure the baby okay anything happen you know so it's, it's a hard it's very difficult and i think our systems in the caribbean need to look uh, look a little bit on that or into that in terms of um one expanding the length of time that women get to stay home with their babies um they could do um, uh, some sort of a, an extended maternity leave or even a paternity leave where they get the father to come in, you know, and share the time. And, and also thinking of the aftercare, even after the fact, after you've had the baby, you know, it's not just having the baby come in and do immunization and do this and do checkups and do this. There needs to be something put in place for women. I think we would appreciate that a lot more. And, and it sort of will be an incentive for women to make more babies. Because especially when you've gone through a really tough time and you're going through a really tough time, you do not want to have any more kids, you know. And you find Caribbean women have stopped having kids because they're, they're more aware of themselves, you know. Okay. They're more conscious and they're like, hey, I don't like how I felt, you know, throughout the year of my pregnancy or after my pregnancy, I don't want to feel that way again. You know, I felt like I wanted to kill my baby, you know, and stuff like mm -hmm. that, that, that actually happens. And you don't want to feel like that because you might actually, you might actually do it, you know? Right. So, so it would be good if things were put in place for that. 